Welcome to the Kettle Call podcast. Today we are here to talk with Dr. Smith about the research call. Uh, but before we get started, let me go ahead and call Brooke Latek. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great. So yeah, Brooke, last week we had a really nice talk with Dr. Smith to talk about his career. He kind of shared some of his ideas and I think he started a little bit mentioning about this project that one of his wife's idea about the project that we are going to do today. But before we get started, let's go ahead and call Zach. Hello, Zach. Hey, Pedro. How are you doing? Oh, doing great, man. Great, great. So, Zach, today, Brooke and I, we like we started last week, we're going to talk about a, a research paper that you did. So, Brooke, can you just go ahead and maybe mention what is the paper, and then we can ask Zach uh, questions about the paper? Sure. So, um, the paper that we're going to kind of cover here is his paper titled Betting Application to Feedlot Steers, Influence on Growth Performance, Estimated Maintenance Coefficient, Carcass Characteristics, and Circulating Metabolites in Beef Steers. Um, and so uh, I was actually reading this paper and the first say, the first sentence I read was that, um, well, there are a lot of cattle fed up in that part of the upper Midwest and Northern Plains where the winter temperatures are a little rough for the cattle. And um, being from the Midwest, it's something I have a lot of experience in and it's rough. Um, but could you just kind of go through uh, how you came up with this project and kind of how you did it? Yeah. Um, so this was uh, actually the first cattle feeding study that I got to do as a faculty member. And uh, Pedro, I'm sure you've come to this. It's uh, nerve wracking. What am I going to do? Is it going to be important? Is it going to matter? And I had all sorts of ideas and this definitely wasn't one of them. And uh, my wife uh, at the time, she was actually just my girlfriend, uh, a wonderful lady moves up to South Dakota with me. Uh, with no kind of commitment. And uh, we're laying there one night and she says, Zach, do you bed the cattle? And I said, of course, of course we do. Uh, uh, and she's thinking of it as like, you know, just something nice to lay on. And then immediately uh, my wheels started turning about, you know, what's the cost benefit of this? Obviously we got to put it out there. We got to clean it up and all these things. And I'd actually had some interest in this, uh, after I got to take a step back because when I came back from the CNES symposium in Davis in 2018, I've been a faculty member for a month and I come back with all these crazy ideas thinking about how I'm going to make a difference in the world. And I'm pumped up <laughs> and I, so I go and have coffee with Dr. Pritchard and I tell him what my ideas are. And he just smiles and he said, already done it. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, he'd already done it. I wanted to compare cattle fed in Texas and South Dakota. Him and Dr. Preston had done this in the 90s. I, I, they, I feel the same. A lot of times I come up with idea and, and I talk with Brooke and then we go talk to Dr. Z and said, yeah, look at this paper. Look it's at this paper. done. Yes. <laughs> Except uh, this was in a beef was in a beef report and that was all it had been published. And, and when Pritchard started his job, uh, his job was to make people want to feed cattle or, or continue to improve cattle feeding in South Dakota. And he was interested in the differences. Obviously cattle fed in South Dakota um, had poor feed conversion when they looked at closeouts, but feed costs were cheaper. So he took a set of heifers from one ranch and kept, he preconditioned them here in Brookings, sent half to Texas 
sent half of them halfway to Texas and brought them back to Brookings and some of them never left. And, and, and they looked at feed conversion. The cattle were fed the same diet, Texas cattle. They, um, ate less with the gain the same South Dakota cattle gained the same, but ate more. So they had poor feed conversion. Um, but I was interested in applied energetics. So I took the step with that data. All right. So this is just in a beef report. Pritchard told me he did it. So me and Cheyenne spend some weekend in October repunching all of the raw data and, uh, trying to look here i've since hidden all the raw data because i i didn't want to go put it back in the file but it's rp 9145 <laughs> these were sas outputs from dr preston and for those of you who are listening zach just got a, a huge file of paper that i don't know how many pages they have in it with sas output stats from 19 When's 91, that? 91. And so that's what we call Pritchard's closet. There's lots of old data sitting there. So me and my <laughs> wife, we repunched all the, the pin mean data because it wasn't in digital format. And uh, we, I reanalyzed all the data statistically and actually determined maintenance coefficient. And the maintenance co was impressive. The cattle, not impressive, cattle fed in Texas, they, they just perfectly matched expectations when you looked at observed to expected net energy for maintenance gain, intake, and average daily gain. They met expectations. And the tech, the cattle fed in South Dakota were considerably worse than expectations. They did a lot worse. So what I ended up doing was, was, was calculating maintenance coefficient based upon uh, tabular NE values for ingredients because they got fed the same diet. Actually, you could actually use the Texas diet uh, performance-based NE as your tabular too. And what I came up with was that, this is that the South Dakota cattle had an elevated maintenance cost of 33%. Or 38%, which was the same level of my bedded cattle in Dathan's study when I bedded them. So wintertime feeding in South Dakota has elevated maintenance cost. And, and the NACIA model is, is designed to pick up on those things uh, with temperature. So at that point, then I started doing some stuff with like lower critical temperature. Uh, people are familiar with growing degree days and corn. It's essentially the, the temperature difference between the lower critical growing degree of corn and mm -hmm. the accumulation of degree units over that. Mm -hmm. So I was going to start calculating like what I was going to call a misery days. And then, so I was like, well, if the South Dakota chamber of commerce, here's you calling them misery days, they're going to tell you to stop. So I called, started calling them critically cold days. And I haven't followed up on this, but I was trying to figure out a way to look at what is cattle's lower critical temperature. All right. It's different if they're dry or wet or have a winter coat and what's the temperature outside. And when it's below that, that's a critically cold degree accumulation. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to try to see how many of those cattle accumulated in a given period and see if I could predict the change in observed maintenance coefficient. And, and I'm working on that still. That was all the start of it. Okay. The Pritchard study, the difference in cold stress. So then I got to the bedding. And when Cheyenne asked about bedding, my mind immediately went back to, well, how does this alter maintenance cost or, or uh, it really measures of applied energetics. What does it do? So I got interested in it and that's the route we went on. So Cheyenne's idea, all the little things I'd learned, uh, reading literature, working for Dr. Pritchard, just being in grad school, kind of put it all together. And, and that's what we did the study. And boy, did we do it on a cold winter. It was just unbelievably cold out. Uh, 
I'll send the video so you can show people of one of the days right after we bedded them. But it was cold. I, I remember. I remember. Uh, I went to to South Dakota actually to analyze some samples in uh, South Dakota State, and yeah. and that was March of 2019. 19. Yeah, and it was miserable. Polar vortex. I, oh my gosh, it was so cold. I mean, I actually ended up. I was driving. There's no way, and I was telling this to Brooke yesterday. Uh, I was driving, and I ended up in, in in fell in a ditch that was covered of snow. We had yeah. to call. We had to call that the tractor to to take me out of that, but but then so going going back to the study, so that that I think answer your first question that Brooke had. Uh, how did you came up with the idea? So what what are, so so you got the idea of betting and not betting, right? So how so tell us what how did you approach that that question? Yeah, so um, betting is like. Uh, it's used in certain facilities where it's needed, bed pack facility to manage manure, but uh, it's not oftentimes used in open lots a lot. Um, and, and, and it creates issues with, with getting mixed into the mud and our, actually our feedlot on campus is a, is a concrete open lot. So there is no mud. It's a solid concrete lot. And so essentially what I wanted to have was we approached the bedding situation in in a method to at any point in time we wanted there to be enough bedded material out there for all the cattle in the pen to have a dry spot to lay down and so that changed like if it was wet out we put bedding out if it was dry we didn't put bedding out and over and and it might be some weeks we bedded three times and some weeks we didn't bed for a whole week but overall cumulative the bedding we applied at least in the finishing study the, the experiment one of this manuscript it was about four pounds per day as is then in the next study, when we did calves, um, we used just as much bedding applied to the pen, but we had more head in the pen. And so they got less per day. Um, but they also weren't as big, didn't make as produce as much manure, weren't eating as much, didn't produce as much urine, and the bedded conditions persisted a lot longer. Additionally, I've also noticed running bedding in like my five head pens that they, obviously we've changed stocking density. It's still the same size pin, but I put five head in a pin sometimes when, we, when we're doing stuff with outs or just real small experiments. Uh, and those cattle stay a lot cleaner, a lot longer. Uh, so there is some, some, some aspects. Now, this is really interesting, Pedro. This is a, you, you'll get a kick out of this. This is not the, the vein of my existence, but it's definitely a problem with feeding cattle in South Dakota, especially doing research with native cattle that carry a lot of hair is that over winter, even when we bed, they accumulate a great deal of hide. Uh, the predecessor to Dr. Pritchard, Dr. Luther made a grad student go cut all the tags off one time. And they had about a hundred pounds of tag on the hide of the animal, a hundred wow. pounds of dry mud he was carrying around. One time my uh, meats judging coach, Dr. Miller told me when he was working in Nebraska, uh, that he found a 600 pound hide just covered in mud. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so that, so when we're, oh, go ahead. Oh, go yeah. Ahead. When they get the hide tag and that hair loses its insulative capacity, it's essentially like they got concrete attached to them. And, and that also can affect uh, the, the insulative capacity of their hair. But with the hide tag, when we go in through winter and I come into May, I have to write notes down on way days because they will lose all their tag hide, their hide tags, 
at 100 pounds and a 30-day weigh day, they have a zero average daily gain. <laughs> yeah. So that's a problem. Now, this is something I ran into this fall with all the high tag, and I just say this because it's interesting and people should watch out for it, is that I had a study with five head pins and I had a study with eight head pins using the bedding. And the five head pins stayed a lot cleaner. Now, when I was tracking those cattle, um, I actually didn't know their mature weight because I never fed these cattle. So I was just guessing, right? What? So I was not close. I was close, but I wasn't as precise as I could be. Mm-hmm. These cattle were under performance the entire time. They, 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 they did not meet expectations. These were the, the smallest and largest cattle from the population of 300 that I used as outs. Now, the middle bit of the population um, I was tracking them and I had a good estimate of their mature weight because I, they were the middle group of cattle and I'd fed cattle from this ranch before. So I had, I, they're big cattle. They weigh like 1,320 pounds at 28% empty body fat. They're really, really big. And when I was tracking those cattle, I was beating the NACM expectations by like five to 10% throughout the entire study until all the tags dropped in March. Well, reason I was beating observed, my observed weight gain was better than expectation was the height, the mud accumulation. Cattle the were cow, dirty. <laughs> were dirty in the eight head pins, but in the five head pins, they never got dirty. And so they were underperforming to expectations. So that's just something I noticed when I was out there one day. I said, why are these cattle not doing good? And I just dawned on me. It's like, oh, it's the condition of the cattle. The, some are clean and some are dirty. Yeah. And it. And it manifested itself as observed weight gain, but they'd lost it all. <laughs> so that, that's pretty cool. But uh, go, coming back to the study, can you just tell us what happened in the study when you betted, when you didn't bet the yeah. cattle uh, in this specific study? Yeah. What, what, so what were the benefits that you had by betting? Yeah, the, the, the benefits actually in this study. Okay. So there's actually two studies in the manuscript. One was, wean calves that had been grown and we brought them into the feedlot and stepped them up to a finisher. And those cattle were placed in January. So it kind of got season effects and, and all these things. And those cattle were transitioned. And in that study, those cattle in the first 36 days, the cattle that had bedding, they weighed 35 pounds heavier. And they held on to that throughout the entirety of the study. The other cattle never caught up. Um, the non-bedded cattle, uh, in an effort to get them out at the same body weight, they um, took an extra 35 days to finish. So it came down to different days on feed when we bet it or not. Now, on the balling calf study where we took calves straight from the ranch, I mean, these calves were, imagine them living, they were on the prairie Monday morning, Monday at noon, they left the ranch, they got to the feedlot Monday night, and Tuesday morning, they were in a pen with or without bedding. Those calves, with bedding, they uh, they gained the same, but ate more. So the non-bedded cattle had poor feed conversion. But also, this was all based upon live weight. That the cattle that weren't bedded also had a greater deal of hide accum- tag accumulation. So the what live weight gain could have just been tag. So they they gained the same, but ate more. So without knowing carcass weight, you really don't know the true efficiency of, of how they utilize that energy. But in a growing study, when we're not carcass adjusting weights, the, it just was more the same weight gain with more feed. Thus, they had poor feed conversion. Perfect. 
So that that's pretty cool, Zach. So I mean, you you've talked about like uh, the benefits of betting. You you did observe, and I, in reading the manuscript, we do see that if you don't bet cattle in your system uh, in a heavy winter, you have you have to feed cattle for an extra thirty five days to get them to the same uh, final body weight. Uh, and you kind of started explaining this from the beginning, mentioning that it's because a greater energy utilization that those cattle had when you bet them. I, I assume that they were more comfortable. Can you can you just explain why do you think that they were performing? Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I when I when I think about this, uh, you know, I can't go give the cattle a survey. Right. Uh, how did you feel? Well, did you like laying in the bed? I did take a video and I'm not an expert on those things. And I, and I can't read like, you know, you can read animal emotion. I do believe those things and they look different. All right. If I just showed this video to you, you'd be like, wow, that's different. So, but I gotta, I gotta find a way to explain this math with, with numbers and, and to show some, not a feel good. The pictures are great, um, but that we're going to go try to implement this at every feedlot in South Dakota. They're going to want to know more than pictures, although I think the videos get pretty conclusive. Okay, so I chose to evaluate this just purely based upon maintenance because I don't believe that cold stress alters retained energy, and so what I, I put all I put all the faith in the maintenance adjustment, and that's how I decided to look at this. And it really is all the same math, <laughs> just depending upon how you want to look at it. Do you want to look at a dry matter intake ratio, a gain ratio, or a maintenance coefficient? That's the way I look at these things. And we just chose to express these based upon maintenance coefficient. Now I am over time, Pedro. Uh, I'm building a data set of all the studies I try to complete. And I'm putting in things like month of arrival, month of harvest, and I am calculating these maintenance coefficients and these intake ratios to try to see if I can't target some, some aspect of a season or when the cattle are placed. Uh, because it's like everyone says, you can't manage what you can't, what you don't measure. And a lot of people do, you know, Dr. Zen, he'd probably be one of the best at this. He does, he does, he has all these things and I'm yeah. trying to just make my own <laughs> no. as I go. <laughs> that, that's pretty good, Zach. Uh, too. And I think you, you kind of cover and you show the importance of betting in your system and everything. Just to finish up, uh, what is next? What are you planning to do next on this? You kind of mentioned yes. that you, you, you're finishing up, but is there anything that you, you're planning to do? Our next? next studies, Pedro. All right. So this is, I guess people should know. I did a master's degree in beef cattle feedlot management. And my PhD was muscle biology. I was doing gene molecular biology. And I thought that's what I was going to do when I started my job. You know, I was going to, integrate that into feedlot stuff, but those weren't the needs of the stakeholders here. Uh, they needed, they needed applied management, integrated crop livestock things. So we've, you know, we've, uh, we've published some data on hybrid rye. Uh, rye is a really unique crop to, to the state of South Dakota in the sense that it, it gives us a third crop in a rotation and, and, and wheat's been that crop for a long time. But there are there are some some issues with wheat with some producers that, that they just want to find another crop to move on to. And, and that this this crop that could potentially be rye and rye is really useful in the sense that it's seeded in September, October. It gets established 
it overwinters and then you can get a forage or grain crop the next fall, the next spring uh, forage crop. And then a little later in the summer, you can get a grain crop and then you can get straw. Um, what we're trying to figure out with rye though is where it fits. Um, one, the first study we did with rye, we did a complete replacement of corn with rye and it was processed rye. And we figured out that, that the any value of rye was about 86% the any value of corn, which is what the feed standards already told us. We knew that, all right. But when we blended it with corn and rye, we got a positive associative effect of, of different types of, of starches fermenting differently. Um, but when we fed the complete replacement, uh, we actually had a reduction in intake and, uh, and, and all the other things associated with that. Now, then I did a study with a whole replace, complete replacement of corn with unprocessed rye because processing rye is a pain in the butt because it's really small. And it doesn't, most of our operators have like one roller mill or a hammer mill. A hammer mill make it too powdery and a roller mill, the gap diameter, all these things didn't work with rye. So I wanted to know if I could feed it with whole rye. Didn't work. Whole rye. <laughs> had about a had an energy value about 10% less than processed rye, which is agreeable, and it's about 78% the net energy value of rolled corn. So our next study we're going to do is going to be looking at uh, a, a diet with because because we figured out now the 1,200 acre South Dakota farmer feeder who's always done 600 acres of beans and 600 acres of corn. When we add a third rotation into the crop a third crop into the rotation um, that can break disease pressure and weed pressure. This rye can like choke out hemp, water hemp and stuff, but it also, you get an increased yield on the corn is what our um, agronomists down at Beersford have, have demonstrated multiple years in a row now. So you add the rye to the rotation, you get a yield in corn and and that, that also, those, those yields in corn, it, it generates enough extra feed for this 1,200-acre farm to finish like 200 extra head of cattle a year just by adding rye. Now, if the goal was to make more grain, you just plant more corn. But this doesn't get into this agronomic, um, holistic approach of breaking disease pressure of using two warm season plants. And so whenever you, uh, 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 a person goes one-third rye, one-third beans, one-third corn, this hybrid rye is very different than the open pollinator rye in that it nearly doubles, yields double. So instead of 60 or 50 bushels an acre, this stuff's yielding 100 bushels per acre in South Dakota. Corn yield would be about 200. And if you increase that bushel yield of corn 10%, if you add rye to the rotation, you get 220 bushels. That ratio of corn to rye is one third rye, two thirds corn, which when we fed it, process one-third rise two-thirds corn fed almost identical to corn so so this is kind of a drop-in solution now what we're going to test next we're going to start this study this uh this uh this february is what's the discount when we don't process the rye when it's fed at one-third of the diet and it's just a way to get it into the diet and fed spoiler alert i think you can do a lot of things replacing one-third of corn with a small grade it'd be safe is what i think but i gotta test it so lots of fun things there with that and then we're going to continue to do some stuff with uh, feeding one growing and finishing diet to northern plain steers and 
Uh, I got one more round of my low moisture molasses stress tubs uh, for newly weaned steer calves we're going to do. That's what we got going on. So we're going to be busy. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. We might bring you next year to, to share some, some of those results with us. Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. Great. So any final question, Brooke? Nope, nothing for me. Okay. So, Zach, thank you very much once again. We appreciate you being oh, here. Oh, thanks for having me, Pedro. Appreciate it. No, it's, it's our pleasure. I hope uh, our listeners enjoy our call, not only here in, the, in California, but also uh, in South Dakota who are listening to us and, and enjoying this call. Uh, thank you very much, Zach. Uh, if, if our listeners have any questions, please uh, send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to receive Zach's paper, just send an email and we will send that to you. And also we'll have a couple more of that in our in our uh, new, uh, monthly newsletter, which we're going to put some pictures from, from Zach's study so you can see the effects of betting and non-betting uh, as well. So thank you very much. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this call. And don't forget, it's always a good time for a kettle call. Thank you. Some cattle call.